It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Gran Turismo. Who do you think the best driver is? Probably Rory. I would dust him in a lap. Jan, all you do is play video games with some crazy dreams of racing cars. Dad, you're the one that told us to always do something we love. You know what racing cars cost? Look around. It's not our world, son. What is this? It's a contest. The best Gran Turismo players in the world get a chance to compete in professional racing. Dude, this is real. This is real. I'm sorry. You really think you're going to take a kid who plays video games in their bedroom, you're going to strap him to a 200-mile-an-hour rocket. It'll tear him to pieces. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Gran Turismo, and the story is as follows. A player wins a series of Nissan-sponsored video game competitions through his gaming skills and becomes a real-life professional race car driver. The film is starring David Harbour, Orlando Bloom, Archie Madikou, Darren Barnett, Jerry Hallowell Horner and Jaiman Hansu. It is directed by Neil Blomkamp and it is written by Jason Hall and Zach Balin. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. Vroom, vroom. Let's get our engines started here, people. Uh, first up, man, my shock when I found out that this was actually a true story. <laughs> I don't know if it was just obliviousness or if I just simply wasn't paying attention to the marketing for this movie, but I remember talking about the trailer for this when we did our show, and there's not a single point where I thought to myself, oh, yeah, this this actually happened. Had no idea. None whatsoever. So that in and of itself is a hook, I think, for some people when they go in to watch this movie, or maybe it's something that they also do not uh, know about and as a result they're watching the movie and then they find out it actually all happened and then they're maybe curious to look it up so the moral of the story is yes all you video gamers out there you do have a future ahead of you (laughs) 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 now in all seriousness it's really crazy how um big the gaming industry has become nowadays and what you can do just simply by playing video games i remember growing up at a time where as a kid you know my parents discouraged us from playing video games because they didn't think it would amount to anything in our lives well along comes a story like gran turismo to prove all those people wrong so (laughs) based on a true story based on the popular video game from the playstation uh, sony world what do we all think of this one this racing movie let's start off first with tom o'brien tom what did you think of gran turismo well matt this one this one perplexed me i gotta say I mean, on the one hand, you have this fantastic true story that I still can't believe happened either. I mean, that a company would actually do a stunt like this. But I mean, from a marketing standpoint, you have to agree it does make a lot of sense. It it does. It does. But you I mean, usually in a company as big as Nissan, things would have to just go through channels and channels and channels and would eventually die. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine the amount of red tape they must have had on this, considering the risk of injury, death in some cases. Totally, totally. But I mean, that makes, you know, red tape makes for a lousy movie. So, OK, let's get a yes and we're we're off. But, you know, you've got this amazing story that really I've never seen quite like before. And then, unfortunately, the movie for me just laid this lame sports story structure over it so that all of the beats in it, you know, you could just set your watch to them. If you ever, much less uh, taken a screenwriting class, if you've ever seen a sports movie, you know exactly what's coming. And unfortunately, the film just does that all the way. And it just it would have been. 
the story has so many interesting character elements that if they didn't impose this um, story structure on it, it really could have been something interesting. So I, in, to me, in a way, the screenplay is the biggest problem here. But, but that being said, I think Neil Blomkamp directs the hell out of this. Uh, whenever, whenever our hero Jan gets behind the wheel of his Nissan racer, I mean, the, sh- the film is, sh- is shot from his point of view behind the wheel. And I've never felt like I was playing a real video game in a movie before the way I feel that way in these scenes. It's the, the, it, the racing uh, scenes are just shot so kinetically that it just draws you in. And even when he gets out of the car and shoots overhead, he helpfully puts in game graphics so that you know exactly where Jan is in the course of the race. And that really works. It really helped me, you know, in a sea of cars. These are the scenes that show what Blomkamp, I think, was always capable of doing after District 9. And I, for one, was delighted to see that, in a very real sense, he's back. But still, there's that script. So I'm feeling very perplexed about Gran Turismo. Yeah, yeah. Understandable, for sure. Josh Parm, what about you? Uh, Did it uh, produce mixed emotions, surprise and delight emotions? What did you think of Gran Turismo? My ultimate thoughts of this movie are basically that it's just okay. Uh, I admit I walked into it with pretty low expectations. Like, yes, there is this true story around it, but it didn't really still seem like something that would be totally up my alley. But I do think that the racing sequences are the best aspects of this movie. I do agree with Tom that there is this rather interesting visual display that they put on to kind of mimic the mentality of playing the video game that is pretty unique. I would also argue that it might be the only really unique element to the racing sequences. I think most of it is still just the kind of, you know, fast cutting, you know, go between the gears and weaving in and out, like kind of standard fare of what we normally see with these kind of racing movies still well done, but I just didn't find that it was all that innovative outside of the, of the perspective of the video game. But once we step off of the racetrack, yeah, I think everything about this movie is just so incredibly pedestrian. Like it gives you the paint by numbers, family drama of the kid who wants to do this thing and the parents that are unsupportive and then the trainer who used to be in it and now he's hard on them but is also rooting for them like it all of that i just found to be so incredibly just uh broad and uninteresting in terms of a narrative and that's a lot of the movie and this isn't a short movie either it's over two hours and i just think it gets bogged down so much in that really standard kind of storytelling that just never moved me at all. So it's not a terrible movie. I would say it is competently made. At the end of the day, I did not find it to be that really moving either. And Neil Blomkamp still is a filmmaker that I don't really get. (laughs) So this is not really another one to convince me to follow his work further, sadly. Okay, so for me, I'm looking at Neil Blomkamp's filmography. Debut film, District 9, awesome movie, love it. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay. Blomkamp is red hot coming off of that film. He wrote it, he directed it, he didn't produce it. His next three films he produced, direct, and wrote, all three of them got mixed to negative reviews, Elysium, Chappie, and Demonic. Gran Turismo is the first film since District 9 that he did not produce, and he also didn't have a hand in writing it either. He just simply directed it. Now, I agree with what Tom said earlier. I think the direction of this movie is where it actually does excel. Uh, The problems are with the, as you said, Josh, pedestrian screenplay. Definitely agree with that. And overall, I can understand if there's a feeling of This is just one big ad for PlayStation or Nissan or whatever you want to take it as. So I can understand if you have that mentality heading into it or even coming out of it of just feeling like I just saw one big placement ad of a film and I'm not really vibing with that so much. I can also understand if the 
storytelling beats are so familiar that you just didn't get anything out of it. Totally get that. I went in with the lowest possible expectations because, like I said, that three-film run here over the last decade, the guy's only made five films since 2009. Elysium Chappie Demonic did not give me high expectations for this. I was not into the trailer for this movie at all. And my history of playing the video game, you know, I, I played Gran Turismo on PlayStation back in the day. I played, I remember, Gran Turismo 3, 4, maybe 2 on PlayStation. Yeah, I, I, I played some of them. But I was never into the whole... Uh, simulator aspect of grabbing an actual wheel and pretending like I actually really was driving the car. Um, I, I was never big into racing in general or cars as a kid. Still am not to this day. I have a lot of friends who are very much into that world. Definitely not for me. Um, and I don't really know much about it, to be honest with you, other than what I've seen from various television shows, movies, and how racing is depicted. I find watching racing itself, whether it's live or on television, to be incredibly uh, boring, to be honest with you all. And much like some other extreme sports out there, I find a lot of times you're only watching it just to see an accident happen, which I think is incredibly uh, morbid. And so I don't really take much pleasure in it. But when a racing film works, it really, really works. And it's not easy to fuck it up, I think. I think, it, it's, I think it's super complex on a technical level to make a racing film work, but all you have to do is look at pretty much all the racing films that have come before you, study and analyze what made those films work, and you can make this work. So is the screenplay extremely simple and repetitive to the point where you can predict every single beat because you've seen it play out in every other film that has come before it, like Tom was saying? Yes. Does the formula work, though? Yeah. <laughs> It does. There's no denying it. Yeah. And so you get this crowd-pleasing film that I think is taking people a bit off guard, and they're coming out of this saying, wow, that was better than I expected it to be, because they followed a very simple formula. Formula One racing, formula screenplay writing, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's all, all coming together here. So I didn't hate this movie. In fact, I actually... Liked it more than I was expecting, um, but I definitely am not in the love of territory. There, there are some issues here for sure. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think it, I think you, what you say about being a crowd pleaser, uh, I think it's it's very shrewd in that way um, because it I think it it will appeal to an older generation who will follow David Harbour's character and the younger generation who will follow um, you know, uh, uh, Jan's Jan's uh, story. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's very interesting because I was looking a little bit up more about uh, Jan Martinborough and I found out that he actually wasn't the first GT Academy racer to come out of that program. He was actually the third, but his story is the most compelling. And, you know, I, I can see why they took liberties then with, you know, pulling some aspects from the true life story and kind of making it work for the movie in that regard. I can forgive all that. That's not necessarily a problem for me because I understand that in a film, you have to do that sort of thing sometimes to make it as compelling as humanly possible. But he really did get into a really serious uh, car accident. He really did uh, do these races, win these championships. Um, he really did graduate from the GT Academy competition, beating about like 90,000 other entrants. I mean, it, it, you, if there's one thing you could say about Gran Turismo, like I said, if you didn't know this story heading in, it's a pretty remarkable story that it it's it feels unbelievable, right? Like, like you just can't believe that this actually happened, that a racing game could be developed in such a way that it's so realistic to the point that 
somebody got the gall to say, hey, you know what? Why don't we take the best drivers or gamers, rather, uh, for this video game and see if they could do it for real? What? That's like taking people that play Call of Duty and saying, hey, you want to enlist? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's, as you said, great advertisement for their game. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, wonderful endorsement. And it, it is an interesting kind of base to the story. I still would argue that what they build from it is pretty predictable, though. Like, I, as you had said earlier, Matt, there is really no turn in this story that you cannot see coming from a mile away. You know where these arcs are heading. You know where the conflict is coming from. And because of that, I also felt like some of the conflicts that they do try to bring up with these characters just felt kind of forced and was like, why are we really paying attention to this? Oh, because it's a sports drama. These are like, this is where the conflict has to happen in these instances. And I never really felt like all of that was very natural. It just felt like it stuck to a script that that I had seen so many times before. And I don't really feel like the storytelling did anything to make that unique in any element. Like you can have more pedestrian story beats, but find interesting ways to tell it. And I don't really feel like this movie did that. I agree in terms of human to human interaction, right? Anytime that Archie, uh, MedQ is like interacting with David Harbour or with Jaiman Hansu, I, I do think that Harbor, Hansu, and Bloom are bringing a lot to this movie. Um, not necessarily saying that any of them are giving like a quote-unquote truly remarkable performance here, but I do think that they provide a sturdy foundation to make sure that that um, conflict and drama that you're saying there, Josh, is passable. Like, it's not the greatest thing you've ever seen, but it but it just simply works. It gets the job done, and we can move along with the stuff that people ultimately came to this movie to see, which is the racing and how Neil Blomkamp immerses you in Jan's experience when he gets behind the wheel of that vehicle. Yeah, I think that those performances that you mentioned are definitely highlights. I, I don't know if I totally agree about Orlando Bloom, only because I just think that character is sort of unnecessary to a point. Like, I get that he's there to set things up, but I feel like he's been in the movie a lot more than I felt he was necessary. So I think Bloom tries to make the best of a kind of bad character. But um, the Harbor and, and Hansu, I think that they are in a similar boat, but I did find myself connecting with just their screen presence a lot more, especially David Harbor. I think every time he's on screen, he is just giving so much energy to what's happening and he's so fun that even though it's kind of a stale character on the surface i think he's the one that makes the most of what he is given and i i will admit that i was pretty charmed by his performance pretty much all the way through this movie yeah he does such a good job of uh presenting such a tough exterior that by the time you know we get to the second half of the movie he's really come around to liking Jan and respecting him. And Harbor also, like, equally so, does a great job of uh, conveying that warmness that he can also have. I mean, we see this play out in Stranger Things, too, with him uh, time and time again each season in his relationship with the kids. And I think that translates here as well. I agree, Josh. He's got such a great screen presence that it's hard to not be charmed by him every time he comes up, wherever he's making you laugh or if he's just simply being that tough mentor who is trying to push these kids beyond their limits. And man, you know, so much of what they have to go through in this, it, yes, it is psychological, but I don't think people realize the physical uh, toughness that one must have in order to, you know, uh, handle a car at those speeds. I think maybe from something like uh like Top Gun, maybe some people have an idea. Obviously, those are going much, much faster. But still, it does take a lot. And I think Harbor does a really good job of just playing that archetypal, uh, sorry, that archetype character who is there to get the kids ready for the next level. Yeah, he's basically Lou Gossett, an and officer and gentleman, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, uh, and, and and Harbor is the right person for this. It also helps that it's really the the plum role in the film. He's the only one who has a really detailed backstory, and the backstory is really important. Uh, and I think that's what I think that's what 
Orlando Bloom suffers from from his character. I mean, initially, Orlando Bloom shows up as a Nissan PR executive who pitches all of this. And he's kind of the audience surrogate. You know, when we see Orlando Bloom in the beginning, we want to root for him. We want to we want him to convince these executives. And he's us. But then when David Harbour come in, he becomes us. And uh, Josh, you're right. I think he, and unfortunately, Orlando Bloom gets kind of pushed to the side and his character changes at times. Uh, you know, we were we were loving him. And then he winds up uh, his character winds up saying, no, let's get the media savvy guy. Let's pick that as the contestant. Not not Jan. It feels like they dropped that storyline, right? Yeah. Like they were setting him up to be a little bit more antagonistic towards Jan yeah. for that choice. And the movie just doesn't go anywhere with it. No, and you know it it pops up again later on when after the accident Bloom wonders, "Oh gee, I wonder if Nissan's going to drop us." You know, it it just becomes business to him and it just seems so out of character from the person we were introduced in the beginning. And so it's, to me it was a very uh, uh contradictory character. That Bloom does the best he can with it though. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I was saying earlier. I think him, Harbor, and Hansu all do the best that they can. Some of them fare better than others here. I think I was just really happy seeing Orlando Bloom in a non-franchise uh role again. It feels like it's been a long time <laughs> that I've uh, not seen him in Pirates or Lord of the Rings or something or another. But with that said, I I you know I think of the three, he's the one who comes across as uh, the least compelling for me. Um, but yeah, here's OK. So I don't know what you guys all think of this here, but Archie as uh, Jan, the idea that he is not properly media trained and that he does lack charisma and being that quote unquote like marketing poster boy for Nissan I was left wondering how much of that was deliberate in Archie's performance versus how much of that is Archie just couldn't he he couldn't he couldn't get me engaged as a viewer in what he was doing. I I was struggling with this throughout because I think the supporting cast around him are all bringing more to the table than he necessarily is. And that's not to say that he's not trying. He's got a few scenes where he has to you know, get us on Jan's side uh, and want us wants to make us root for him. Uh, and if you can't do that, then the film doesn't become a crowd pleaser as it does. So I think there is an element to his performance that does ultimately work. But by but that's like more so, I think, in the third act, more so than anything um, in the lead up to that. It took me a long time to come around to really connecting with this guy, liking this guy and really just being wrapped up in the performance that was being given. I was I was struggling with it throughout. Yeah, there, I think there's a void at the center of this film, and that's Archie, unfortunately. I mean, I, I'm just, I was not interested in him really at all. Uh, you know, we were, I knew we were supposed to like him, but I didn't particularly warm up either. And uh, and yes, maybe the, uh, the plot point that he's not the most media savvy, uh, you know, it had some truth to it, uh, but I don't think they could have planned that the performance was so weak, um, you know, to cast him because he's weak. Um, I think they needed to have a more dynamic actor who would really shine more in Act Three. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think he I don't think he does. Well, and that plot point about him not being that media savvy has no follow up either. And, right. you know, it's like that doesn't come into it at all, because after he's chosen, it's just all about the racing. And it's another instance where it did feel like there is a conflict of characters happening that just felt so forced and manufactured. And it's like, why? Why does this matter? Because. We don't see him really give interviews after that. It's just all on the racetrack. And so, yeah, it's another moment that just feels like it's here because it feels like it's obligated to have some other thing going on outside of the racing. But I did not find it compelling. And, yeah, I think that his performance is just as bland as the character is. And everybody is working with bland characters, but I feel like the supporting people in this movie just do a better job of elevating that than him. And maybe that's just down to the fact that they're more experienced actors and they know how to do that better. But yeah, for, for um, Jan, I just found that 
the character wasn't written very well and the performance didn't really do that much to infuse a sense of personality to make it distinct and make it compelling. And yeah, because of that, it does feel like the person that we're supposed to have the greatest connection with is just kind of this empty vessel that is used to push the plot along, but we're distracted by like all these other elements that surround this performance and not the central key figure that we're supposed to have some kind of connection with. I mean, Jesus Christ, they uh, give Jan this uh, love interest in the story here. Um, Audrey played by uh, Maeve Courtier Lily. And I I thought she was more charismatic than he was in this movie. It's like, and they don't give her barely anything to do, you know? (laughs) Well, they have very little chemistry as well. So it's like, I had no interest in their romantic subplot in the slightest. (laughs) No, no, they don't do a good job of teeing that up and making it, uh, believable in the slightest here. Um, I know there's a segment of our audience who will want to know how is ginger spice in this movie? And, um, hate to say this wasted. Doesn't really do anything. Jamin Hansu gets all of the uh, dramatic emotional scenes and she's kind of just there. Well, Hansu gets one, I think, pretty big dramatic scene, which he's very good in and made me think like, man, why does Jamin Hansu keep getting wasted in these movies? I'm getting very frustrated <laughs> about this. Man is too good of an actor. I feel so bad for him because I can tell that he still is wanting to always bring something substantial to every role that he's playing, but he keeps getting saddled with these projects and roles that are not utilizing him properly, I don't think. And it's just like so clear to me, if you look at his filmography, the man's just collecting paychecks, you know, and trying to get jobs anywhere he can. And to Hollywood's credit, they put him in some pretty big movies, you know, large budget, big blockbuster films. But I have to imagine that it can't be creatively satisfying for him to always be doing these supporting roles where he doesn't get a chance to stretch himself the same way that he did earlier in his career with performances like in In America or Blood Diamond. Yeah, he needs an indie, I think, to say, you know, that that is about him Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously he's capable of it. uh, And it's just such a waste. Yeah. Yeah, and you see, like I said, like the, that one scene he has with uh, Archie towards the end of the movie, it, it, you know, it lands, and it lands because uh, Jaimon Hansu is delivering the goods. Yeah. yeah, it's very standard, you know, parent finally accepting their child for doing the thing. Like, you know, you know what the story beats are, you know what you're supposed to be feeling, but I think Hansu just does a really good job of selling that, and it, yeah, reminded me once again that this guy's a really good actor and he does just get wasted in these supporting roles in these big movies. And I do remember him actually talking about that, like uh, maybe a year or so ago about Mm -hmm. how he is frustrated that these are like the only roles that Hollywood would offer him. And it is depressing because you watch this movie and he could take a very standard kind of a character and actually infuse some personality and screen presence that makes you connect with it just ever so slightly and i do give him a lot of credit for doing that but he is still saddled with i think not that great of a role and it's a shame that he feels like once again wasted in a part that could have been played by anybody now something that i think uh, all of us mentioned here uh, or vote josh maybe i didn't hear you comment so much on this before but um i think the parts where this movie really shine is the uh I mean, to a certain extent, the GT Academy stuff of them being put through the paces of learning to drive for real, that's entertaining. It does feel like one extended long montage, essentially. But once Jan does get behind the wheel and we start getting into these races, I think that's where Blomkamp's direction of this movie really comes alive because he does a really good job, I think, of putting you in the perspective of Jan, which also is paying homage to the original video game that this is based on, because in the game, yes, you can play from these different camera angles, uh, point of view of the car, which some of which are replicated here through various drone shots, which are pretty cool, but uh, there's a camera angle that you can play in the game where you could do first person from the point of view of being uh, behind the wheel, and... That, I think, is done really well here with the way that 
the sound work uh, is uh, employed and also to how they focus a lot on Jan's breathing during some of these scenes. You can hear him talking through uh, the mouthpiece over to David Harbour. And it just I, I thought did a really great job of placing us in the moment of making us feel like what these races would uh, feel like for us who have never experienced this before. Yeah, there's a really remarkable moment uh, near the end where uh, Jan is about to make a big decision. We see him seated behind the wheel of the car about to make the move. And the cars, the parts of the car just float away in the air. And all of a sudden, he is back playing the game in his bedroom. I can't be the only one who thought of Transformers in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, there was a scary moment there, yeah. yeah. But, it, but it serves as a great reminder. That's where Jan's skill came from from that bedroom to be able to do all of this. Yes, it's enhanced his um, uh, skill set in real life, but it also the instincts that he developed there. And it was just a wonderfully visual way of being able to make that point. And uh, there are moments like that in in the film that is like, wow, this is what some this movie like this could be. Yeah, I agree that the racing sequences are the best parts of this movie. And there's a lot of times when it does present a very uh, kind of captivating portrait of of the racing. I still think that most of it still felt like I had seen variations of this in other movies. I think there's only so much you could really do for these racing sequences to make to set them apart. And I think those instances where we do get the kind of perspective of how this is being translated to the game is when it finds that kind of unique way to go about it. But I still kind of felt for the most part, it was still entertaining, but kind of using very similar tricks of the trade that I have seen before in other racing movies. And I don't know if it does too much outside of that kind of um, that sort of base level that we normally get from other movies. If it did too much outside of that to really, impressed me all that much i still found myself being entertained by those moments and they are the most engaging parts of the film i just don't know if i am quite as enamored with them as other people are okay that's totally fair i get that hello and welcome to novel conversations a podcast about the world's greatest stories i'm your host frank lavallo And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, so other than that, I mean, we talked about the racing, we talked about the story, the performances. Um, we're going to quickly go into final thoughts here because I don't really don't know what else to touch upon. So Tom O'Brien, final thoughts, uh, anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up or something you want to reiterate? Well, uh, just in terms of uh, the film, the film's now release history, uh, it has been bumped a couple of weeks. And I think most places it's going to be opening on the 25th, which I think is probably a smart move. Uh, I think uh, by that time, uh, the uh, Barbenheimer will have died down a little bit. And there may be a film that uh, um, particularly male audiences will want to go to. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very smart move. And I, I suspect this will be an audience pleaser uh, more than a critical pleaser. Yeah, I mean, the Rotten Tomatoes score right now, I know, is in the Rotten Territory. I believe it's in the mid-50s at the time of this recording. The previews, though, from what I've seen from non-critics who have had a chance to uh, catch it, have definitely been positive. So I could see this being a modest hit. Not necessarily anything big, but I could see it doing relatively well just based on word of mouth and lack of competition. You know, all of us are going to be preoccupied with the fall film festivals uh, during this time anyway, when this gets uh, released towards the end of August here. But it's very interesting to me how I feel like this sort of quasi-platform release strategy based on uh, the impacts of the sag after strike might actually turn out to be a good thing financially for Sony here with the release of this movie. 
Yeah. Uh, all right, Josh, what about you? Yeah, uh, just a couple things actually at the end here. One, I actually did find the editing to this movie to be kind of weird in some instances. I do think that the racing sequences are well put together, but there are like these weird cut to blacks that happen all the time throughout this movie. I don't know if you noticed this at all. But oh, yeah. It, it really was a weird way to kind of structure some of these sequences and the transitions just felt very awkward and threw off the overall pacing. I don't really understand that, but it happened enough where I took note of it and it was very, very odd. There were a lot of choices where they were going for, this is serious. This is dramatic. We want you to feel the weight of this moment. Boom, fade to black. (laughs) And it was like, you know, you're not fooling me, okay? This is a fucking Gran Turismo film over here. (laughs) Like, (laughs) let's, let's calm down a little bit, but... There's a part of me that does admire that this movie does take itself uh, somewhat seriously, even though it is meant to be this uh, piece of mass popcorn entertainment. I get that. But there was never a time watching this where I ever felt like this movie didn't know its identity or um, was tonally confusing so much. Um, I just think it was a decision that... I agree, Josh, it is a little weird, but but at the same time, I would rather a movie take itself seriously then have a juxtaposition of tones that are not quite matching with each other throughout sure i just thought the execution was weird and i didn't really understand it yet. well also <laughs> let's keep in mind here neil blomkamp i think has shown us over the last couple of years that and i i hope this i don't know man i might get some flack for saying this i, I do think district nine maybe was a bit of a fluke yeah well i mean I could go further and just say that District 9 maybe was even a little overrated to begin with. So Ooh, that, no, that, no, 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 no. I can't. Right there about Neil I, I cannot get on board with such thoughts here. <laughs> I know. So I'm coming from a perspective of never really even being that enthused about his work from the very beginning. So, like, I think this is better than, like, Chappie, for instance, which is just an abomination of a movie. But uh, it, it still wasn't great to me. Um, the only other thing that I would mention is, you know, there's not too many, like, individual lines in this movie that I thought were memorable, but I have to admit that the line, Kenny G. Anger, did stick with me. So I will at least (laughs) give the movie credit for that. Kenny G. and Enya Uh, making a comeback in this movie. (laughs) That soundtrack is going to be something. Yes, (laughs) very much so. Speaking of lines in this movie, I have a couple here that... uh, Oh, man, I was I was worried early on because it seemed like in the first act of this movie, that's where the cheesiest lines seem to be. And then they kind of got away from that as the movie uh, progressed. But oh, my God, when David Harbour is like saying, you know, if you crash the car here, you can't reset. Like, I don't know, stuff like that. Or mm. or like when David Harbour says to Orlando Bloom, those days they're in my rear view. I'm like, oh, God, no. Yeah. I'm like, don't do not do stuff like that. Please, God. The movie does eventually move away from puns and things like that eventually. But early on, I was like, oh, man, this is this is rough. It, it moves from being rough to being extremely. You know, I think pedestrian. I know we used that term before. I think we're being maybe a little too harsh. Let's just say standard. Okay. It's not great. It's not bad. It's just kind of screenwriting one on one. It's basic. Yeah. yeah, the movie gets better when they shut up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And basic can be fun. Like look at a lot of movies that I tend to champion. Like I know basic movies can be fun sometimes, but it's all in the filmmaking. It's all in the performances that the actors bring to it. It's all in the tone of the overall piece. If those elements are working, then it's okay if your kind of foundation isn't that special. I just think that for me, they don't really build much from that foundation that isn't from what I have seen before. And I don't think too much effort is made apart from small instances here or there to make it unique. And I think that's what ends up holding it back a lot for me. You know how like in uh, college dorm rooms, there will be these motivational speeches that will be written on posters in people's dorm rooms, right? Mm. I want a poster of David Harbour's demotivating speech 
in this movie to the uh, kids because, oh my God, when he was talking about my job here is to break you and you are not going to succeed. I was and then Orlando Bloom like looks at him like good pep talk, pal. (laughs) I was like, this is great. I loved that whole speech. I, I, I really did. Um, and David Harbour, once again, he just sells the hell out of these moments, whether it be for the comedy or if it be for the drama. He just has such a natural, likable screen presence uh, that it really, really helps to make this movie what it is. And I mean, what it is, once again, is not great, but it was better than what I was expecting it to be, at least. And that that's saying something. Yeah. Uh, Tom, you mentioned this before. I want to reiterate the... Guided visuals of this movie during the racing, whether it's for the lines of the track or the placement of where Jan is within the race compared to the other drivers, really well done in helping to get the audience to understand. Um, because racing, I don't think people realize this. Some of these races can go on for hours. In the case of the climax of this movie, 24 hours, and you're just doing the same lap again and again and again how do you make that exciting and i do think that those visual cues go a long way towards um moving first of all moving along the story um so that this way we don't get caught in like in a monotonous uh circle of oh he's going around the the track again oh we're going around that same lap again oh like here we go again and then on top of that just also like i said conveying where is jan's place in all of this so, really, really well done there. I thought that was all really, really smart. Uh, the 24-hour at Le Mans. <laughs> How many times in a racing movie are we going to see, you know, the climactic race be this dangerous, oh, my God, it's raining. <laughs> How are they ever going to make it through? Like, this movie just checks off all the boxes. It really does. I mean, yeah, between this and then 4V Ferrari, I'm just like, it, does it just rain all the time at Le Mans? Is it, <laughs> yeah. is it just required on the racetrack? Like, Didn't it, it also rain at Le Mans in, uh, in Rush, too, or am I going crazy? Probably. It's like, does it just always rain there? Yeah. <laughs> we have a race at Le Mans. Oh, shit, it's going to rain. They, they just always yeah, pick the day where it's raining. It's weird. <laughs> uh, the crashes in this movie, I think, are also really well done. Um, if you guys look at the actual video footage of Jan's real car crash, they did a really good job of replicating it here. But there was one car crash in particular in this movie where it happens to uh, his rival, which talk about a storyline that literally did not need to be here in this movie at all. Um, no. Was it Capra? I think it was the name uh, of Kappa. The... Kappa. Yeah. 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 That guy gets involved in such a violent looking crash with fire and flips and everything else. And he just gets out of that car like nothing happened. And I was like, how the hell is that guy okay? No way. Absolutely no freaking way did I buy that that guy just casually walked out of there. And he was pissed that he crashed. He's like throwing his helmet down. He's like, oh, I'm out of this race. And I'm like, dude, you're lucky to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is sort of the point of the character is that he's vain and obsessed with kind of the material things of racing and not the actual, you know, quote unquote art of it. Like, I get where that mentality of the character is, but I didn't care about that character in the slightest. That was a subplot that could have easily been disposed of and nothing would have changed in the movie. Right, because they try very early on to show how David Harbour is working for these people who are more about the glitz and glamour of this lifestyle than they are about the actual art of it. And that was another aspect of this movie where it's like, okay, there's some setup here and maybe they can go further along with this and developing this – rivalry between uh, Jan and this other racer, but they they don't do anything with it. It just goes nowhere. There's also another drop story B2 about uh, Jan not having the respect of his pit crew. And that's introduced. And then all of a sudden, like after a race or two, now they're suddenly like, oh, yeah, we respect you, kid. No more. No more jokes about getting, you know, using a joystick to drive this thing. You know, like, I don't know. It's just. There was so much more interesting elements that they could have explored here, I felt. And the screenplay just chose to, as we've said, go down a path of predictability where I felt like there were other avenues it could have taken to make this more uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I will say, too, that the moment where David Harbour gets kind of knocked off his feet 
by the uh, cathartic emotion of the climactic race. For all the bullshit that this movie has and for all the faults that it has, I got to admit, when that final race happens and Jan gets to the end of it, just seeing David Harbour like being unable to stand and soaking it all in, I kind of I felt that, too, as an audience member. I really did. I genuinely felt like, oh, man, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I watched something extraordinary here, especially considering this, you know, not exactly, you know, beat for beat. But for the most part, a lot of this all really happened. And I just found that to be remarkable. When Harbor fell down, that is not a reaction I've often seen in movies. It's like, right. I haven't seen that before. That's really refreshing. And I might have in the same position done the same thing. Exactly. Because you just think about the impossibility of this story and yeah. how incredibly inspiring it is that you could take someone that's playing video games one day, turn them into a professional racer the next day, and then to actually see them succeed. That, that's like one of the greatest underdog stories of all time. Yeah. So I really felt the weight of that in that moment. I thought, once again, David Harbour sold it really well. Okay, uh, so that's it for my final thoughts here. Ultimately, I was very impressed by this movie in some aspects. Um, other aspects, I can't say I was disappointed. It was pretty much what I expected because, like I said earlier, Neil Blomkamp doesn't inspire much confidence in me nowadays. But... Uh, yeah, this was better than I thought it was going to be. And I can understand those who feel differently and can say that it was maybe as terrible as they expected it to be. Um, I can also understand, too, if the movie just maybe people are going in with high expectations. I really have no idea. I don't know anyone that's going into this movie with high expectations, to be honest with you. <laughs> but for me, I went in with extremely low expectations. And while I wasn't blown away, it did exceed those expectations somewhat. Uh, faults and all, I think this movie does work. It works on the most pedestrian of levels. Um, but I can't really fault it. You know, from like, it's not offensive. It doesn't do anything that's so terrible that it gets me angry or anything like that at all. It's typical, you know, summer popcorn movie. Six out of ten. I'm not really that passionate about it, but it was a good time. Tom, what about you? Matt, for me, a bad screenplay is usually the the, the moment of doom when I realize this isn't going anywhere. And I was on the on the fence about it. But as to whether it would be favorable or not. But I got to say, Blumkamp's direction of the racing scenes, the uh, dynamic way that they're shot and how involved I got in there, plus the really solid performances from most of the cast, tipped me over into the favorable rate. So to me, it's a soft six. Yeah. Like, I'm probably never going to watch this movie again, but I'm not upset that I watched it. No. Josh, what about you? I am going to be a 5 out of 10, so I'm pretty just down the middle on it. I didn't hate it, but even the elements that did engage me a little bit more, I still didn't feel like were enough to make up for the other aspects that I wasn't too invested in. And, yeah, it wasn't enough to pull me into these slightly positive territories, so I'm just really kind of... Down the middle mixed on it, so I'm at a 5 out of 10. And for those wondering right now, will this movie reach the quote-unquote podium, pop the champagne, <laughs> deliver an Oscar speech? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've had some people ask me, do you think it could be a sound nominee? You know how this could be a sound nominee? If this movie made a billion dollars and there were two sound categories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not going to make a billion dollars, and there are not two sound categories. The the, the Ampus is not even going to consider this. No, the movie's going to be forgotten, like, whenever it is released. <laughs> I mean, I was yeah. wondering, too, about visual effects, maybe, because, you know, I mean, like, like here's the thing. Ampus does love racing movies. They truly do. They'll throw in an editing nomination, a sound nomination, something, somewhere. But this is not the kind of racing movie that they typically go for. And what I mean by that is that this is purely a commercial play film. It doesn't have the pedigree of a serious, um, you know, Oscar director, like in the hot seat here, or 
um, actors of the caliber of like what you saw in like Ford v Ferrari with Christian Bale and Matt Damon. Like it just doesn't have that identity. And so on the surface, I guarantee you most Academy members are probably not even going to see this movie for consideration. So anyone that's wondering if this movie is going to be an Oscar player, just give up those hopes now and just go and watch the movie and, and you know, enjoy the movie, hate the movie, whatever, but no awards chances. No, it's not going to enter that conversation. And yeah, as you said, people can just watch it and enjoy it for that. It's not going to go anywhere beyond that conversation, but it not every movie needs to be. Exactly. A, a racing movie has to be Rush to be, I think, really considered by the Academy. Which is funny because Rush didn't end up getting a single goddamn nomination. Yeah, it <laughs> nominations. <laughs> <laughs> but it was considered, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. 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 All right, well, that'll do it here for our review of Gran Turismo here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Josh Parham, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at J.R. Parham. Tom O'Brien. And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.